Good morning and happy Tuesday to everyone. It is 7 a.m. on this Tuesday, August 30th. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to be with you once again today. It's a joy each and every day. Let's pray this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. O most blessed Mother, heart of love, heart of mercy, ever listening, caring, and consoling, hear our prayer. As your children, we implore your intercession with Jesus, your Son. Receive with understanding and compassion the petitions we place before you today. We are comforted in knowing your heart is ever open to those who ask for your prayer. We trust to your gentle care and intercession those whom we love and who are sick or lonely or hurting. Help all of us, Holy Mother, to bear our burdens in this life until we may share eternal life and peace with God forever. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning we've got uh, quite a bit on the show for you today. And that, I mean, well, we got Doug Berry again, and we're going to talk about what it means to be a husband and a father today. And uh, men, pay attention. That's all I can say. It's a message we need to hear more and more in our culture and in our world. We're also going to be talking with uh, Colin Donovan this morning, Vice President of Theology at EWTN. And he's going to bring some clarity to us on some things. Um, So I'm happy to have the opportunity to sit down and and talk with Colin today. And we'll have the catechiz. And I've got a special treat in store this morning as well. But it's a pretty full clock, so let's get down to business and go to Mike Roberts now for a check of today's weather. Today is the feast day of St. Jean Jugon. Born in France in 1792 during the French Revolution, she was the sixth of eight children born to Joseph and Marie. Her father was a fisherman, but was lost at sea when she was just three and a half years old. When Jean was 16, she got a job as a kitchen aide for Vice Countess de la Chaux, who was a devout Catholic, and she asked Jean to go with her as she ministered to the poor and sick. Then at 25, she joined the Congregation of Jesus and Mary and worked numerous jobs, including teaching catechism and as a nurse. In 1837, she met a 72-year-old woman named Francois Aubert and a 17-year-old orphan named Virginie Trédaniel. They rented a house together, and the three began a community devoted to prayer, helping the poor, and teaching catechism. But soon, They were taking in women of need, and in just a few years, they found themselves providing for nearly 50 years as their mission shifted to caring for abandoned elderly women. This was the beginning of the congregation that would come to be known as the Little Sisters of the Poor. In 1849, Jean established a second house in Tours, and just a few years later, the congregation had grown to include several other houses in France and England, providing care for 500 elderly women with the help of 100 sisters, a priest who had been made their superior, Father Auguste Lapelliere, refused to recognize Jean as foundress and had her removed from all of her duties except begging, which is how she spent the last 27 years of her life. 
By the time of her death on this day in 1879, the Little Sisters of the Port expanded across Europe and into North America with 2,400 sisters, but by then many of them did not know she was their foundress. In 1890, after an investigation, Father La Polière was removed from his position and Sister Jean Jugan was finally recognized as the foundress of the Little Sisters of the Poor. St. Jean Jugan, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. Here is our catequiz question for you today. How many of the seven precepts of the church can you name? How many of the seven precepts of the church can you name? I'll tell you what, I'll give you a second to think about it here. Maybe you have them in order, maybe you don't, but there are seven of them. Do you know? Have you figured it out yet? Here they are. The seven precepts of the church are to attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation and resting from servile works on those days. Number two, to observe days of abstinence and fasting. Number three, to confess our sins to a priest at least once a year. Number four, to receive our Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist at least once a year during the Easter season. Number five, to contribute to the support of the church. Number six, to obey the laws of the church concerning matrimony. Number seven, to participate in the church's mission of evangelization of souls or the missionary spirit of the church. And, uh, you know, there you have it. I would say this, by the way, two things that, that we often forget about, resting from servile labor on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, and then also um, days of abstinence, that every Friday, with limited exceptions, every Friday is a day of abstinence from meat or some other form of penance. Now, I used to get all worked up in this, like, well, I'll just do you know, some other form of penance because I want to I eat a cheeseburger on Friday. And the more that I have tried to just keep it simple, just do what the church asks. Abstain from meat. Don't, don't go out and come up with some other penance, Adam. You know, just do what the church asks. There's a reason the church says, do this. It's hard, but it's good. It forces me to get out of the box a little bit. It forces me to be creative. Actually, dinner time with the family on Fridays has now become somewhat of an adventure because it's like, what are we going to make? Can't put meat in it. And, you know, um, we get creative. You, if you know me, you know that I love to be in the kitchen. So I, I very much enjoy the creativity of that. Providing for the needs of the church, also very important. Observing the church's laws on marriage, you know, all of these things are good. I would say this, though. While the precept says go to confess, confession and confess your sins at least once a year, this coming Saturday is the first Saturday, and in the apparition at Fatima, the Blessed Mother specifically asked us on the first Saturday of every month to go to confession to go to Mass and receive Holy Communion, to pray the Rosary and meditate for 15 minutes upon the Rosary. Now, if you go to confession once a month on the first Saturday of the month, you are not violating a precept of the church because you are indeed going to confession at least once a year. I think of it this way. When I was a kid, my mom used to say, Adam, would you do this? And if I did the bare minimum, she'd be a little disappointed. But if I'd go beyond what she asked me to do, she smiled. 
So let's do the same for the Blessed Mother. We're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. When we come back, Doug Barry will be with us. Hello, podcast listeners. This is Adam Wright for Covenant Network. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe. And while you're at it, share it with your friends. And now back to the Roadmap to Heaven podcast. This week, we're talking about the role of the husband and the father in the home with Doug Barry. And Doug, yesterday we were talking about the spiritual authority that the, the husband and father sits at the head of the family in terms of that spiritual authority. This is something so holy and sacred that even the demons know it, and they take very strong note of that and how they come after us. So what does it look like to be the head? Now, you might be saying, all right, well, I'm the king of the house. My daughters like to joke around, Dad, if I'm a princess, that means you're the king. Yeah, but what does it mean to be the king? So we go to Ephesians chapter 5, probably one of the uh, most, oh boy, scriptures out there where the husband's here. Oh yeah, honey, it says wives be submissive to your husband, but they don't hear what it says for the husbands. This is one of those passages that I know priests who have said to me over the years, they do not want to preach on this. I would say this is one of those passages that if we preach on it, if we talk about it, if we explain it the right way, we bring order to the world. St. John Paul II said that as the family goes, so goes society, because the family is a cell of society, and as the society goes, so goes the world. So when the family is strong, when there's order in the family, the world is impacted in the best way possible. This is an important thing to remember. Ephesians 5 speaks of order. The wife be submissive to the husband. A lot of people stop at that point. I would, when I talk about this publicly, I would bring the little joke into there. You know, a couple of guys hanging out at work. Jim says to Bill, Hey man, my wife's always quoting scripture. I don't know what to say. Oh, tell her this wife's supposed to be submissive to the husband. Oh, are you kidding? Is that really in the Bible? Yeah. Oh yeah. That's in the Bible. Whoa. Do you know anything else in the Bible? Nope. Don't need to. It's all I need. And for a lot of guys, I've had women come up and say, yeah, my husband throws this at me. What do I say? And I would say back, tell him to read on. Because the next part of that passage gets into a husband is head of his wife as Christ is head of the church. Okay, this is where it begins, and then it gets to the white peak submissive. And so much so that Christ gave his life for the church so that he could present the church to himself without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. In other words, in some form of perfection. So our job as husbands is to live in such a way that helps our wives when they die go straight to heaven, present them to Christ, ready for heaven. Now, obviously, in a marriage, and I want to say this, Adam, because I know a lot of people struggle with the marriage situation, a lot of pain, a lot of difficulty there. Look, your job is not to get your spouse to heaven. You can't get anybody there. We have to get ourselves there. Everybody has to cooperate with God's grace. Okay, Christ himself can't get everybody to heaven if those people of free will reject the grace. So your job isn't to get your spouse to heaven, it's to point them to heaven, show them what heaven is like, bring peace to them in their life, help them understand, but they have to cooperate. My mom prayed forever for my father, but my father still died of alcoholism, left the church before he died. We still pray that last moment of his life, the grace was there, there was a priest by his side. But what I'm saying is we know situations where people pray like crazy for their spouse and they, it just doesn't, it doesn't stick. Well, what happens? The individual has to cooperate. So I want to say that because a wife being submissive to her husband doesn't guarantee 
that everything's going to work out great. He still has to be Christ to her. Gentlemen, if you want to know what your role is as a, as a husband to your wife, look at a crucifix. Every day, look at a crucifix. And don't look at the nice, clean ones, okay? The ones that have a couple spots of blood on each hand and the side and the feet. Find the crucifix that looks like Jesus looked like the day he was murdered on that cross. Completely bruised, beaten, bloodied, everything, everything given for the church. That's how we are ahead of our wives. If I wake up every day and I remember that, and throughout the day remember that, if I remember that my job is to point my wife to heaven, do everything I can to show her what heaven is about, give my life of her, every drop of blood, every breath in my lungs for her, then I've got a much better chance at her arriving at heaven, of course, and me too. A few weeks ago, you shared with us the story of when you first started going around your home with holy water and blessed salt because a priest called you out on it and said, Doug, why aren't you doing this? And, and yep. you tried to make some joking excuse, and you said, no, you do it. And, you know, that's one of those things that now I think about it. Sometimes that means if my wife's going to be coming home late from work and I'm tired, well, I have to stay up. And that's part of laying my life down. It'd be real easy to go to bed, roll over, turn the other way, and say, tonight, I'm not blessing her. I'm not sprinkling holy water. I'm not praying with her. I got to stay up. I got to be tired. And it might mean that I have to get up earlier in the morning so that I can attend to what I need to do to lay my life down for her. But the good news is, battered, broken, beaten, bloody, all of those things that our Lord was on the cross, that's not the end of the story. That is not the final image we have of our Lord. Right, exactly. This is leading us to the resurrection, the final resurrection. This is the glory in the end. So all the sacrifices, all of the pain, all of the calloused hands, the loss of hair, which I'm dealing with that, all of the... <laughs> you still got a lot of your hair, Adam. You're looking it's hard, a little man. gray, though. It's, yeah, it happens, you know. But all the wear and tear that we go through is for the final resurrection. We understand that this is a blip in our lives. Okay, we're here for a very brief moment, and then we're gone. And yet the love that God has for us and the love that he wants us to have for him and for others is very apparent, very clear if we see it in scripture and the church and, and so forth. But we have to remember there is something else. You know, that spouse that you love right now, everyone listening, that spouse that you love or that you're struggling with, you see the ups and the downs and the, the, the good and the bad, all that. If we focus on what our mission is, when we die, we will no longer be married because at death, marriage ends. But we will love the spouse more completely in heaven than we ever could here, even though we won't be married with them or to them in heaven. That's what we're aiming for, something greater, something more magnificent. We are battle partners here through life. The goal is to help each other focus on, point to the next life in the best way possible. Sacrificing, working towards that, that is part of love. We know this. When we love, we sacrifice for others. That we see with Jesus on the cross and men, that's what we must, must understand when we look at a crucifix. That's how I'm head of my wife. Well, Doug, I want to thank you for today. Tomorrow we're going to be talking about one simple thing. But let me tell you, Laying Down Your Life is a series of one simple thing, one after the other. So until then, Doug, it's been great to be with you. You too, Adam. I appreciate it. Are you enjoying this podcast? 
Well, if you are, did you know that Covenant Network offers great programming 24 hours a day on 43 stations in five states, plus streaming online? You can find our schedule, your local station, or listen online at www.ourcatholicradio.org. That's O-U-R catholicradio.org. Visit us today. And now back to this podcast. You may recognize our next guest's voice. You hear him every Friday here at 2 o'clock on Open Line Friday. He is Colin Donovan, the Vice President of Theology at EWTN. Colin, it's so good to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven today. It's good to be here. Now, I have to tell you, as I was preparing for this interview, I I was getting all of my notes together, and then last Friday I was actually tuned into Open Line, and at about 40, 45 minutes into the show, someone beat me to the punch and asked you about today's topic. And Mm -hmm. our listeners know that lately we've been talking a lot about nature and spirit and the, the different things between Christ and between man and between God and between angels. And as we look around the culture right now, there's also a lot of confusion going on. You know, people that say, I know that my body is this, but I feel that I am that, and therefore I'm going to ignore this and and live as that. And every time I try to get into it, even with the help of Frank Sheed, Peter Kreeft, the catechism, I just kind of stumble over my words. So I'm so happy you Mm -hmm. can be with us today to kind of give us some insight, if you will, on the relationship between body and spirit and soul in this creature God's created called man. We are, as many have said, a unique creature. Uh, I think even in cultures where there was no no sense of divine as we understand it, you look at the animist cultures, the pagan cultures, they always knew there was something beyond beyond themselves. And they also knew that they they shared something with that. Of course, the the Greeks and others went so far as to give, you know, human form and human attributes to those uh, those superior beings, which were not actually superior. But I think that human sense there is something in us that is more than than the body is a long, enduring one throughout human history. And the Greeks captured it very early on, uh, at least in uh, historical times. Uh, with uh, Arist- Plato and his idea of, uh, of the idea, something that is a, a spiritual thing that brings the light and truth uh, into the human mind. And then as particularly with Aristotle, with what is called a realistic sense of nature, that in human nature we have a body and we have the soul. We have this thing that is transcends the the boundaries of the body, in way that the you know the animating uh, force of animals and plants and and other creatures, uh, if you can see them as creatures even, uh, doesn't. And so that distinction is a natural one. In the uh, among the Jews, of course, they had divine revelation uh, regarding, you know, the creation of man and God breathed the living soul into Adam. And so they already, they understood throughout their history from, from that, that time, uh, they knew that uh, in the covenant of Moses that this, you know, bipartite, uh, if you will, nature of the human being is a body and soul, and that to strive for, the, for God, who is spiritual being, was the, the greatest preoccupation of man. We are really, in some sense, living in a unique, uh, unique hit point in history because 
Most of the battles in this area don't deny the existence of one or the other, but they overemphasize the existence of one or the other. You get the, the, the purest models, say, such as the Manichees and the Cathars, who had a, you know, a very rigorous idea that the body meant nothing but only the soul. And so bodily pleasures, uh, even marital uh, relations, all of these things were evils and only the soul was good. And then you get the opposite thing. You get the materialism, which is certainly a big factor in today's world, uh, that is that the the body is a very significant, and if and if a certain value is given to the soul, uh, it seems like it's an accessory, and that really my my mind and my own judgment and my own will, uh, I'm entitled to govern this body and change this body, uh, and to do with this body what I will. And we've departed, I think, from the sense that the ancients had, and even up into our day before Descartes and and other uh, modern philosophers and so on, that sort of pushed everything in the direction of such an extreme separation of spirit and soul that you're either some kind of idealist utopian or some kind of materialist. And that's, I think, where we are today. And Christianity and Orthodox Judaism are sort of holding it together in terms of this unity of man in ways that the culture is not. And so you you do get in our culture the extreme materialism that we see, this extreme idea uh, of sensuality, that everything is body and feeling and sensuality. And even in spiritual things, many believers are caught up in this, you know, that uh, that there's nothing, there is no denial of the body needed. There is no denial of those, of those claims of the body, and that it doesn't soil the soul. This was one, one element of the of the earlier heresies as well. So we see a little bit of all of those things, but I think what we have predominantly in our era is a materialism that reduces everything to our bodily state which then gives the permission to form our bodily state into what we want it to be. And on the other hand, you have a kind of existentialist psychology, such as the, is the psychology that reigns in the social sciences, you know, that makes the will and the individual uh, the preeminent thing. And so it diminishes the role of the church and authority of revelation, uh, I am my own personal revelation, and I'm going to sculpt my reality to conform to, you know, to what I think it ought to be. Uh, you, you get that view that we, we aren't a unity which need to be treated as a gift and fostered and led along the way of salvation, but really, we have these realities where I get to choose, where my ego gets to determine, and my body is something something which can be molded to suit what my my ego, my my mind, which in this concept I think is primarily a material thing and not a spiritual thing at all. So I think that's where we are today in a historical period, somewhat unique, where the the ideas that even animated pagan societies and their reverence for creation uh, has been lost. Uh, 
the, certainly the purification of that by by divine revelation to the Jews and through in and through Christ uh, has been lost more and more. And we are descending into this body, which is the possession of my own ego, that I can do what I want with it, and I can do what I want with anything that's any within it, uh, such as the child. It doesn't deserve a unique reverence because it's not me. It's in my body. I can do with it what I will, because in the end, it's my own ego, which is supreme and important, with no bow to nature, no bow, certainly, to a god and to... Uh, anything spiritual that would constitute authority over me. Uh, this is unique in human history. Uh, the loss of even a natural faith in reality, uh, a faith that Aristotle certainly had, faith with a little f, and now even reality is questioned uh, because, in part, by the good thing that science and technology has shown us that we can we can steward reality in ways that are useful to, to man, but on the other hand, it's opened up the Pandora's box in which, we, which science and medicine and, and technology can steer things in ways that are not ultimately useful to man, but nonetheless, like a consumer product, is useful to me. And I think it's that ego at the center of all of this today, which is the, the, the biggest danger for the individual and also for the culture, this loss of that true realism regarding nature, regarding ourselves as human beings, um, and, and so on. It's, you know, it's very fascinating that you say um, it, the unique period in history we're in and talking about the wonders of science, but also the Pandora's box it's opened up. I was at a an event not too long ago, and the speaker was a Dominican priest who works in healthcare ethics. And one of the ideas that he discussed was that 100 years ago, 90% of people had no clue if they were about to die in the next week or two or, or three or four because infection mm -hmm. would come on suddenly, right. um, you'd die in childbirth, or you would die in an accident. And in today's day and age, thanks to the, the wonders of modern medicine and science, 90% of people know when they are actively dying, but because of what science and medicine have allowed us to do, it really has opened. He said the same thing. It's opened up a Pandora's box of questions that we have never had need to confront in the course of human history because we never had the ability to think these things were possible. But I want to thank you for this very clear explanation of why all of this really matters. I wonder if we could close with this mm -hmm. because I'm not I, – I am not as gifted as you in explanation. But for our listeners that inevitably are going to encounter this question, whether it's with a family member or with a friend or neighbor or somewhere out in the community, is there, you know, and this may be the million-dollar question, a one, two-sentence way that we can maybe start a conversation on why it matters not to go to either extreme with body or soul? I think a point I made early on, and that is we can self-analyze the world. This is what Aquinas meant when he talked about natural law reason's ability to look at ourselves. And when people who think man does not have a soul, and they look at themselves, there is no way 
other than something more than what the body we see. To distinguish us from even the higher primates and the higher, there is a je ne sais quoi, as the French would say, beyond the animal world, which is self-evident to a person who simply reflects on whether that is there. And it is. And that's the beginning of a belief in a, in a spirit. And centuries have been spent in a lot of ink and speech trying to refine that. But the church has a beautiful refinement and explanation of that. But it's something accessible to all of us because it's in us, that mind which allows us to look and say, yeah, this creature, man, is different from any other creature that we have found or we're likely to find through any scientific method, through the Webb telescope or whatever it is, we're going to, we, we can see that we are different. And that's what the ancients understood, even when they misidentified that truth in creatures themselves by worshiping trees and other things. They at least had the seed of all of that. And it's in us as well. Well, Colin Donovan, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on Roadmap to Heaven this morning. It really has been a treat uh, to spend some time with a, a great teacher of theology. If you enjoyed what you just heard and you haven't been tuning in to Open Line Friday on EWTN Global Catholic Radio, well, you should start doing that. Friday's 2 p.m. right here on our airwaves on Covenant Network. Uh, Colin, once again, thanks for being with us today, and please give our best to everyone at EWTN. My pleasure, and I certainly will. Thank you for asking me. This week on the Daily Dose of Encouragement, we are talking about attributes of God. Yesterday, Patty Schneier shared with us how God rescues. Patty, what do you have for us today? Well, I just want to encourage everyone to maybe this week spend some time in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament or in your prayer time if it's in your home, in a quiet place, and thank God for all of his wondrous attributes and what he does and how you've experienced him in your life. I, I will spend hours and hours, I'll just pick one word and just let my prayer life go with that one word. So here's another word of what God does. And it is so obvious, but do we really take time to thank him for it? He's a God who forgives again and again and again. And there's a famous quote by St. John Vianney that he says, what does God want to do for you more than anything else in the world? He wants to forgive you. So think about that. So often we're like the crowd on Good Friday choosing Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We choose something over God every time we sin. We betray Jesus for far less than 30 pieces of silver. Every time we betray our conscience, we betray our faith, we walk away from truth, or whenever we're deciding to go it alone, right? All we have to do is repent. All we have to do is just go to him in the sacrament of reconciliation, confess our sins, say we're sorry, and resolve to begin again. What kind of a love is this that would do that for us again and again and again? And how can I ever thank him enough? So not only does he forgive us, but he restores us, you know, like the prodigal son. He puts a ring on our finger, a cloak on our shoulders. He kills the fatted calf, throws a party to welcome us back into relationship. So he restores what is soiled by sin. It's kind of like removing the grime from the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. Remember when that was restored and it revealed the brilliant colors of Michelangelo? those frescoes? Well, he restores us to our original brilliance, our splendor, our beauty, our goodness, and our original identity. And he does it over and over and over again. He's a God who forgives. Thank him for the million and one times that he's forgiven you in your life. Spend some time in prayer this week. He's a God who forgives. So often I find myself asking 
do you love me? Will you forgive me? And I think of my kids who say, I love you this much, and they put their arms out as wide as they can. And how much does God love us and want to forgive us? Well, as my kids say, this much with his arms outstretched on the cross. Patty, thank you for this dose of encouragement. You know, not to brag or anything, but I can uh, I can forget what I'm doing while I'm doing it. Someone just shared those words with me not too long ago, and I thought, oh, that's definitely me. I can forget what I'm doing while I'm doing it. I want to go back to today's catechist question because some of you might be saying, Adam, you asked about seven precepts of the church, and there are five. And you are corrected in the catechism today. There are five listed. Traditionally, depending on where you live, there could be more than that because the local bishops' conference could set some. So, I mean, going back to the Council of Baltimore— uh, there were six. So the important thing is live your life in conformity with the commandments. Live your life in conformity with charity, with faith, with hope, and strive to live a moral life. You know, if you pray every day, Blessed Mother, help me to do God's will. That's a really good starting point. Bishop Hugh Doyle, we, we quote this all the time on the station, and I, I quote it all the time on the show, and I'm going to quote it again for you here. Bishop Hugh Doyle would say, One cannot remain in mortal sin and pray the rosary daily. Either they'll give up the sin or they'll give up the rosary. It's a, a rough paraphrase because I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but how true is it? You know, if, if you want to persist in sin, you're probably going to want to hide from the Blessed Mother. And, you know, I always warn people, be careful when you go to pray to the, to the Blessed Mother through her intercession. Be careful when you say, come Holy Spirit, because once you provide that opening, God's going to work. If you give God even, you know, a pinprick size opening in your heart, God can flood in there and work. Uh, I wholly, wholly endorse giving God the biggest opening you can, right? Don't hold back. Lay down your will for his will to be done. But be ready. Be ready for what he may call you to do. Let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Our Lady Queen of Heaven, pray for us. St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue talking with Kristalina Everett. We've been talking about what are we uh, called to do, what is our purpose in life, and uh, do you have confidence? What's your confidence level in what God's calling you to do? I hope you have a lot of confidence in that. And we're also going to be talking with Doug Berry again tomorrow about what it means to be a husband and father. So all of that and more don't forget to join us then. I want to give you a heads up that uh, next week we're going to be bringing you some of the best segments we've ever had on Roadmap to Heaven because I'm actually going to be on the road on vacation. Uh, So don't forget. Well, I'm just looking forward to it. Until then, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. You've been listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Pray your rosary today. Are you a regular listener of this radio station? please consider becoming a regular supporter of this apostolate. We need you. Give us a call or you can send your support to Covenant Network at 4424 Hampton Avenue, St. Louis, Missouri, 63109. Thank you very much.
Beato in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostra, WRYT Edwardsville, KHOJ St. Charles, W224DC 92.7 FM Caseyville, K275CI 102.9 FM St. Charles, K244FO 96.7 FM Crest.